In the tapestry of time, a story unfolds of a faithful God whose love is forever endless. Through the lowest valleys and the highest mountains, his steadfast presence is always with us. In every trial and every test we face, he holds us close in his unchanging love. When shadows of doubt gather around us, his faithfulness shines as a brilliant sunrise. With arms stretched out, he guides our way, a beacon of hope in the darkest day. In every moment, his promises hold true. He paints the sky with hues of dawn, reminding us that we're never alone. Through every season, in joy or strife, God's faithfulness is the anchor of life. So let us trust in his unwavering hand as we journey through this shifting land. For in his love, we find our peace. He is always and forever faithful. You know, tragedy, the thing I've learned in, um, in my years of uh, being around is that, and watching people grow in their faith in the Lord, is that I've noticed how people when they come to a tragedy in their life, a tragedy, it usually becomes a fork in the road for how they're going to relate to God. Did you ever notice that? Some, some people, when they enter into a tragedy, they can handle it. They can handle things like a financial tragedy. Um, they can handle things like a relational tragedy. And maybe that draws them closer to God. But there's always some tragedy, I've noticed, when you go and you talk to people. Why did, why did you walk away from the Lord? What was the thi- why did you decide to not go to church anymore? Why, why did you decide to stop reading the scriptures? If you, kind of, if you begin to dig down a little bit, you know what you find? It's often related to a tragedy. You know, uh, when I teach at uh, Word of Life Bible Institute, I always tell my students, that God is greater than life. Because sometimes the tragedy is, did you ever notice this? Losing a loved one. You can take all my money, God. Like Job. You can take all my money. You can take, all, you know, my job. You, you can take, but if, if you touch this thing, this one thing, if, if that gets touched, it's a tragedy enough for me to what? Separate. And we see this moment in the Bible. Because there's, there's a, something deep down when you see what's going to happen here in Exodus 33 going into 34, as I'll, I'll uh, develop the pas- passage a little bit. The thing that's amazing to me that when you, when, when you watch the relationship between God and Moses and Israelites and, and Moses is that it's a tragedy that both are going to experience in, in just two chapters. But one runs to God and one runs away from God. And when you look at this tragedy, the thing that changes everything is how we know who God is in our life so that when the tragedy does come, we are solid on the rock of who God is. I think there's a lot of people that say, oh, I know who God is. Do you? Then who is he? Well, you know, uh, you know, he's God. He's God. Who is he? You know, God told you who he is. His character in one, in two verses, my favorite two verses in the Bible have boiled down to who God is. Because I am convinced that if you can take these two verses and plant them under your feet, you will be solid, solid 
on those moments when tragedy comes, you've got to go back to the foundation and say, who is the God that I believe in? Who is he? Is he just some ethereal, distant God that doesn't even hear me? We heard about that when we were worshiping. God, do you even hear me? Well, if you know God, then you will know the answer to that. And God actually tells us who he is. And then I want to show you not, not only what God says about himself, but then I want to show you how throughout the Bible, this verse becomes foundational for ma major biblical characters throughout the scriptures. So let me set up the account for you here. Uh, let's go back, actually. You can say in 34. I'll start in 32. So you can stay there in 30, 34. You just listen to the story here, okay? The story is this. Moses, you all know Moshe, right? That's his, that's his name. Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, as the Jewish people call him. The, the Moses the rabbi, the teacher. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. Do you remember how many days he was up there? 40 days. 40 days. He's up on Mount Sinai in the presence of God, receiving what? You remember? Ten Commandments. He's getting the commandments. He's going up there on behalf of Israel. He's up there for 40 days, and a tragedy strikes. The Israelites are looking around saying, what happened to Moses? Where did he go? Did he just, like, get consumed into God's presence? Is he ever coming back? It, if you think about it, I mean it. It was a tragedy for them. They didn't know where Moses went. The leader who they were following that brought them out of Egypt disappears. But he didn't disappear for, you know, 40 weeks. He didn't disappear for 40 years. He disappeared for 40 days. He went to the mountain for 40 days. And look what happens. I'll just read it really quick. When they saw that Moses was so long coming down from the mountain, this is uh, Exodus 32, 1. They gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods who will go before us. And as for this fellow, look at all of a sudden Moses is just some guy. Okay, the guy who literally would go to Pharaoh on behalf of the Israelites and say, you got to let my people go. The guy who fought for them, who trusted in God, who was the one leading them out of their slavery. All of a sudden, hey, he's just some guy. You know, what? Oh, Moses' persona changes off this fella, Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. It's a tragedy. So instead of saying, I think Moses taught us a few things about God, what happens? They build a golden calf. Can I tell you something? In the, in the Old Testament, in the Torah, which are the first five books of Moses, you might know the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments are just bullet points for the other 603 commandments in the Torah. Okay, so there are actually 613 commandments that you can read from Genesis to Deuteronomy, the first five books of Moses, that the Jewish people know they have to follow. It's, it's called the Torah. That's why it's called the law. 613 commandments. Now, look at This is the moment where you kind of think about those 613 commandments, and you go, you know, they could have broken 217, uh, number 217, or maybe 371, or maybe even 125, or even 75. No, what happens? The Israelites, right away, after 40 days, a tragedy happens. What do they do? They immediately build a golden calf. And what do they do? They break rule number one and rule number two. 
Just like that. 40 days. Tragedy. They exchanged God for a lie. It's a tragedy. Instead of going, what, what has Moses been telling us about God this whole time? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of our fathers. What's he been telling us? Uh, let's forget about it. Hey, Aaron, build us a golden calf. Completely a tragedy that leads them away from God. And I want you to see what happens as, as, as this is all going on. Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments, and Moses is about to come down with the Ten Commandments, and uh, God's going, you know, these people that I just made a covenant with have already broken it. I, you're not even down yet. The, the etchings on the stone are still steaming, and you're going to come down and see one and two broken already. And you know what happens? God says, get out of here. You broke the covenant. And Moses is going to have to deal with it. No, wait, God, wait, wait, wait. I'll, I'll, I'll talk with them. I'll, I'll, I'll speak with them. And then Moses comes down, and you can see Moses' wrath, his frustration is just like God's. And you know what happens? It's this amazing moment where now Moses is in a tragedy. Because Moses is dealing with something. Because God says this, you know what? Why don't you guys just go on ahead and I'll stay here? That's actually what God says. Look at verse uh, chapter 33 of Exodus, if, if you want to, in verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the, uh, the people that you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give this land to your descendants. And when the people heard, look at verse 4, when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on ornaments. For the Lord had said to, uh, to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. And if I, were, if I were to go with you for even a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide uh, what, what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off the ornaments uh, at Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. Moses has a tragedy now. Wait a minute. The Israelites leave you. These are your people. But now you're leaving us? And there's Moses with a tragedy. But I want you to see what Moses does because this was a moment for Moses to go, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up to be the counselor between God and these people. I didn't sign up. You're the one in the burning bush that called me God. Now this could have been the moment where he said, I didn't sign up for this. But instead, I want you to see what Moses does. Because in the face of a tragedy, a real tragedy, Moses does something completely different. Look what he says here. Verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people. And let me just say this. Did God have a right to say this? A hundred percent. Do you know why? God made a covenant with his people. And it was a bilateral covenant, which means this. God and the Israelites made a deal. You keep my commandments, I will be your God. You keep my commandments, I will bless you. You keep my commandments, and everything's going to be just fine. Again, Moses came down with the commandments, and they already broke it. They already broke the promise. It's done. This is why it's important what we see about God here, because the deal was done. It would be like you going to buy a home, and you go and sign all the paperwork, and you go, oh, actually, I don't have any money. I don't know what to tell you. 
I, I'm sorry, I lied the whole time. No, and all of a sudden the deal's ripped up. Get out of here, buddy. You just wasted my time. No, this is going to be a moment where God's going to show his character and nature, nature in a real difficult time of tragedy in this relationship. And look what he says here. Look what Moses says. He says, uh, but uh, lead these people, you said, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation, Israel, is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? And Moses said to the Lord, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Now watch what Moses does. It's the complete opposite of what the Israelites did in Exodus 32. Do you see what it says there in the next verse? It's the most amazing verse. The Lord said to Moses, or Moses said, now show me your glory. In the face of tragedy, Moses says, show me your glory. Do you know what Moses is saying? I want to know you, God. I don't want this relationship, God, in this face of tragedy to be a distant relationship where you're sending us on while you stay back. No, I want your presence. Did you even hear earlier, my presence will go with you? When, when Moses uses that word glory, kavod, it's actually the Hebrew word for heaviness. It's heavy, weighty. Show me your everything, God. I want to know you inside and out. Show me yourself. In the face of this tragedy, in the face of this moment with the relationship that you have with Israel, and I'm in the middle of it, I don't want to run away. I want to know you more. Show me your glory. Do you ever say that to God in the face of tragedy? Do you ever stop and say, God, I'm going to use this moment right now Show me your glory. Because I want to know you more in the face of this tragedy right now. And I want you to see what God says. He says, if I show you everything, I will consume you. No man can see God and live. But you know what I'm going to show you? Do you remember what he shows him? This part right here. No one ever said, did you check out the shoulder blade on that guy? Okay. <laughs> Amazing shoulder. No, I'm going to show you this insignificant part right here. I can't show you my, uh, my face. That's the idea. I can't show you my fullness, my face, it says in Hebrew, but I can show you this part. So I'm going to put you, Moses, in the cleft of a rock, and my glory will pass before you, and I'll remove my hand, and you'll just get a little taste of this right here. But in that process of doing that, showing your glory, I'm going to reveal my glory, and I'm going to reveal who I, I, am, I am. And this is my favorite verse in the Old Testament, because it, it really is going to set up the Bible. Because it's God's character and God's nature that is eternal and drives the story of redemption forward. And look what, so what happens? Look at this. So Moses, verse 4 of, of, of Exodus 34 now. So Moses 
chiseled out two stone tablets like the first one, went up Mount Sinai early in the morning, because he's going to get new tablets because he broke the other ones. And as the Lord had commanded him, and the, he carried the two stone tablets in his hands, and then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name. Look, if there's a section to underline in your Bible, this is it. Look what he says as he's passing by Moses. He says this, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a compassionate, a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Can I read that one more time? Because this is your God. When life goes on, you've got to be constant in knowing who God is. Not just, yeah, he's God. Right, God? Right? Hello? No. God already told you who he is. Right here, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, thank you, Lord, abounding in love, thank you, Lord, and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, don't think of this as a weakness in God's character, because you know why? He, will, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Hey, can I tell you something? I absolutely love that God says he's a forgiving God. And you notice he actually highlights sin isn't just one thing. There's actually in the Old Testament layers of sin. Maybe you've read iniquity is a separate Hebrew word for sin. Trespass is a separate Hebrew word for sin. And then sin, sin is missing the mark. Trespass is actual rebellion against God. That's an actual rebellion is another one. Iniquity, another form of sin. God could have said, hey, look, I'm a forgiving God, but only of sin. But trespass, you're going down. Iniquity, that's it. No, what does he do? I forgive it all. That's who I am. And how does he prove it? They just broke rule one and two. The covenant, the contract should be broken. He should have said, just get out of here. I'll start over again. No, my character and nature is going to maintain this relationship with my people because I am a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, forgiving of iniquity, uh, trespass, and sin. It is your God. It's your God. So that he's telling you, this is who I am. And it will change everything. Now watch this. I think I have, if we'll go up to the next slide here. So these are just some of the things that uh, God is, which we went through. And I will also, can you go back really quick? I want to highlight this right here. Has anybody ever gone up and touched this huge screen before? Look at this. Keeping loyal love. God's love is not an emotional love. You know how in your head when you're talking with your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your husband, you know, you're saying things, but you're also thinking things in your head because you're a little emotional too. We can be irrational and then we can be emotional. The thing about God's love, it's not an emotional love. He's keeping hesed love. Do you know what hesed love is? 
It's contractual love. God loves you because it's in his character and nature. There is no emotion in the sense that he's wishy-washy about it. No, it's a loyal love. It can't be broken. And I want you to see how this gets worked out. So now let's go to the next slide. I want you to see some of these things. Number one, jump with me to Psalm 51. Y'all might know Psalm 51, okay? Psalm 51 is when David, King David, y'all know King David, and he committed some really bad sins. He committed adultery. He committed murder. Do you know what should have happened to David? David should have been stoned to death according to what? The law. The law should have put David to death. He intentionally committed adultery, law-breaking. He intentionally murdered somebody, law-breaking. He knew he could have lost his kingship as the king of Israel. And in Psalm 51, it's his psalm of repentance. And I want you to hear how David opens Psalm 51. Oh, David's smart. David should have been a lawyer. Watch what he says here. Have mercy. Now remember, David knows he's got bupkis. He's got nothing. Nothing. He should be dead. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy. Okay, not the full house have mercy. Have mercy. It's going back to Psalm or uh, to Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loyal love, your Hesed love. Psalm 50, uh, Exodus 34. According to your Great compassion, Exodus 34. Blot out my, watch what he does, transgression. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Notice he names every one of the sins that's found in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before you. Against you and only you have I sinned and done evil in your sight. Do you know why David had the chutzpah to say to God, I broke your law, forgive me. Do you know why he had the chutzpah to do that? Because can I tell you something about David? He read God's word. He is just quoting from Exodus 34, 6 and 7, and in the face of his own sin, that should have removed him from God, should have removed him from his kingship as the king of Israel, he's standing on who God is. I know you, God. He used God's words against him. I know you. I know I deserve death, but I know you. You told me who you are. You're the compassionate, merciful, gracious God who's slow to anger, forgiving of iniquity, trespass, and sin. I know you. And I know that if I cry out to you and repent, I know your character. I know your nature in the face of my adversity and my tragedy. What I did, I sinned against you and you alone. God, I know you can forgive. And what does God say? He forgives him. God loves a broken and contrite heart. Why? Because a broken and contrite heart in the face of who God is, his character and nature changes everything. That's exactly what God is waiting for, to forgive. I know you. I know you. David knew God. How? He read his word and he knew who God was. Look at the next one. Hesed, or the idea of this loyal love from Exodus uh, 34, 6 and 7. Jump with me to Jonah. Oh, this is hilarious, okay? 
This is hilarious. The story of Jonah, I'll wrap it up really quick, okay? Prophet Jonah, go to these pagan Ninevites. This is God talking to Jonah. You go to these Ninevites and you tell them their wickedness, I can smell it and it's making me nauseous and I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth if they don't repent. Jonah, go tell them to repent. And Jonah goes, you mean the people that abuse my people, your people? You mean the people that I hate more than any other people? You want me to go to them and tell them to repent over my dead body? I'm going to buy a ticket and go the opposite direction. God picks Jonah up, plops him back down, and says, go to Nineveh. Jonah begrudgingly goes to Nineveh, and he says what? Repent, repent, or else God's judgment will come. And you know what the Ninevites do, everybody? They, they repent. Praise God. And there is, there's Jonah. He's just seething. He's still seething. Watch why he's seething. Hey, can I tell you something? If you keep up with the news, this is a Claudia Gay moment. You know why? Jonah plagiarizes Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Watch this. Thank you. <laughs> but Jonah, uh, but to Jonah, verse 1 of Jonah 4, this seemed very wrong that they repented. And he became angry and he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall the fleeing to Tarshish. By, by fleeing to Tarshish, I knew, watch this, oh, this is so good. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, or it's better for me to die than live. Can I tell you something? Jonah fled in the other direction. Do you know why? It doesn't start off like this. It ends with it. Jonah fled in the other direction because he was so confident in God. He was so confident that God was a compassionate, gracious merciful, forgiving God, that he said, I know what God will do. He will forgive them. I'm not going. Isn't that amazing? And he plagiarizes right from the text. Now you might go, plagiarizes? Oh yeah, that's, that's not good. No, it's perfect. Do you know why? Jonah read the Bible. Jonah knew in the face of calamity, and it was a calamity, Jonah knew what? God would forgive them. God would forgive them. I'm confident in it. Are you that confident? Are you that confident in God's character and nature? It's the opposite of what we want to see. But it still shows that in Jonah's heart, he knew based on God's word and Exodus 34, 6 and 7, what? He knew God would forgive them. There's other ones. The strength to defeat your enemies, like Satan. Psalm 86.15 talks about the fact that God is compassionate and merciful and gracious and forgiving. And that in being that way, he wants to defeat your enemies before you if you turn to him. That comes from Psalm 86.15. Look, hesed, or this loyal love, this nature, this character in nature from Exodus 34, 6 and 7 can also be found in Lamentations chapter uh, verse. 
uh, chapter 3, verse 22 and 32. If you have a moment, just go there. Lamentations. See, I always do this to myself, and now I have to go find up Lamentations, which is only three, chap- uh, three four chapters in the Bible. All right, here we go. Lamentations 3, listen to this. Je- Jeremiah, the prophet, is watching Jerusalem burn to the ground. Talk about a tragedy. He's watching the temple burn. That's why it's called Lamentations. He's cry- literally, it should just be called crying. He's crying. He's watching everything that the Jewish people hold near and dear to their relationship to the Lord burn to the ground. It's burning, if you've ever felt that way before. And listen to what Jonah says with confidence. Lamentations 3.22. Because of the Lord's loyal love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Where did, did you ever hear this before? Where did that come? Where did, where did Jeremiah think about God like this as he's watching everything burn to the ground in his life? Where would he come up with such a statement? Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Lord, your loyal love will carry us through. Lord, every morning your faithfulness, it's brand new. Your compassion never fails. Why? Because I know who you are, even as I watch Jerusalem burn to the ground. One more, look at this. Even for me, I'm a big fan of Israel and the Jewish people. Micah the prophet. Micah the prophet is talking all about judgment. It's not good. But in the very end, at the very end in Micah, Chapter 7, verses 18 through 20, it says this. Who is a God like you? In Hebrew, you know what that says? Micha, Micah. That's why his name is Micah. Who is like you? That's what Micha or Micah means. Who is like you? Who is a God like you? Look at this. You ready? Who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. He's been doing it for a long time. That's the Jewish people. You do not stay, watch, angry forever, slow to anger, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. Why does Israel still matter to God? And that's why I hope you come back tonight because we're going to talk about Israel and what's going on in Gaza. But why is there still an Israel today? They're a picture of God's compassion, mercy, grace, and forgiveness. It says it right here in Micah. I know you're going to do this, God. Even though we're totally wayward right now, I am confident in who you are. I want to read one more to you. This actually comes from the New Testament. This is so important in Romans chapter 2. Listen to how Paul defines the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 2, talking about God's righteous judgment again. But listen to what he says. He says this in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you not show contempt for the riches? This is how he's defining God. Listen. Do you not show contempt... For the riches of his kindness, forbearance, 
and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Where would Paul have gotten that? That it's God's kindness in the face of judgment, in the face of tragedy, in the face of all these things. He's saying it's not God's wrath that drives us to, to salvation. It's God's kindness, his patience. I, have, I need a lot of patience from God in my life. It's his forgiveness. Y'all, this is our God. Do you stand on those truths? When tragedy comes, it drives the whole Bible. I only read a few verses to you. They're all over the Bible. Whenever you read a prophet, whenever you read a story in the Bible, in the Gospels, in the Old Testament, and it talks about God's compassion or Jesus's compassion, or God's mercy, or Jesus's mercy, or his grace, or his forgiveness. They're not just making this stuff up. They're grounding all of it on that moment in the face of tragedy when Moses said, show me your glory. In this moment where I have a fork in the road to either jump off Mount Sinai and get out of here and run back to Egypt, or go forward with you, God. If I'm going to go forward with you, even in the face of this tragedy, I want to know you more. Can I tell you something that's interesting that happened to Moses? I want you to read the story this week, if you can, in Exodus 32, 33, and 34. But what's fascinating about Moses is that when he came down off that mountain, it looked like he had been in an eternal tanning bed. He came down, and he was glowing from just seeing this little part of who God is. He was glowing. They said, Moses, you got to put a veil on, buddy. We're, we're getting headaches and migraines from seeing God's great glory radiating off of you. You know what's awesome? Today, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit of God indwells all of us, if you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus. Do you know what that Holy Spirit's supposed to do? To do? It's supposed to conform you as you read God's Word and it interacts with the Holy Spirit in you. It's supposed to conform you, change you, transform you into the image of His Son. Which is what? Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Did you ever read the fruits of the Spirit? You'll be surprised that the way God asks you to be as you yield yourself to the Spirit, you're supposed to be what? All of a sudden, as you yield yourself to the Spirit, they're saying you'll transform, and all of a sudden, you'll start to become what? Patient. Oh, God was patient in Exodus 34. Kind. God was kind in Exodus 34. Forgiving. God was forgiving. See, it's not just a stare at God who is all of these amazing qualities. Actually, no, what is supposed to happen is this. You, in placing your faith in the Lord Jesus, are to become like God's character and nature. It changes you. It changed Jonah. It changed David. It changed these, it changed Jeremiah. 
That when these people are looking at what's going on in front of them, how are they looking at these tragedies or these issues? They're looking at them through the grid, the filter, all of it through the grid and filter of what? God's character and nature. Compassionate, gracious, merciful, forgiving, patient, long-suffering, kind God. Is that what you're building your life on? Because when that tragedy does come, if you don't know that about God, that fork in the road will be really hard. But if you do build your life on the character and nature of God, when that tragedy comes, I promise you this is what you'll be saying. Lord, show me your glory. 